Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 73. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Robert Carter, as always, my good friend. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you doing? Of course, I don't have to ask you that because I saw you all day today at work, but I'm glad you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And it's not all the time that I see you at the office, so it was nice that you were there, too. We don't always get a chance to catch up, but we got to catch up today, too, so that, that was extra nice. Yeah. And all of our listeners, I want to publicly apologize, because if you're trying to listen to the series in order, you may have noticed that I spoke uh, mistakenly in some of the most recent episodes about what order number it was. Oh, terrible. You might have noticed that episode 70 and 71, 72 are not in the order that I said they were. We actually recorded these a little bit differently because we were rearranging our schedules Rob had to travel. I had some other commitments and I couldn't record. And then we had one occasion, I think, Rob, that you couldn't use the internet or something like that, right? Hey, yeah, we had a big stormy night several weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I don't I don't know if the audience cares that we're we're not doing these in the order promised. I mean, they're still getting the episodes, just like last year we had these two episodes right after each other, and this year we had a caffeine episode in between. Yeah, I don't think anybody would notice unless that they were noticing that we said things like, I think probably at the end of the Nobel episode, we said, and tune in next time for the Ig Nobel Awards. And then we didn't do that. Yes. But yes, that, yes, was, yes. that was my mistake. And we've gotten things in a much better cohesive order for the time being. Again. So I, can comp- I can imagine people sitting in their corner screaming, why, why, where's my Ig Nobel Prize episode? No, I can't really imagine that. What are y'all, Fox? Is this the release schedule of Firefly? What are you doing? Oh, Firefly. I miss Firefly. We just went through it earlier <laughs> this year. It's it's aged well. I, I, I think I just need to go sit down and watch through it again. Yeah. It's a good use of the time. Get, uh, put that in your fall break week, right? So speaking of fall, the bees are not doing a whole lot, so nothing to report on Bequinox, right? I don't want to talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> we could save that for another time. I, I'm crying. Oh, no. <laughs> well, let, let, let's save it because we do have a lot of other happier things to talk yes, about yes. in this episode. Yes, and I've been do. looking forward to the, the good news and the fun stuff. So, Rob. Yeah. Everybody has been waiting for too long. We made them wait for two extra weeks longer. Yeah. But you do have one other thing that we want to talk about before we get to that subject, right? Well, it's a couple of things. I'm not sure how many things to to talk about and then how many things to wait for next week. But, you know, interesting things have been happening. Um, Just, just roll with it. If I don't like it, I'll just edit it. I'll, I'll just edit all the content all right. out if I don't like it. All right. So a new rocket technology has been invented. Okay. And they had their first test launch, and it worked. Now, they didn't launch something into orbit, but they, they did a proof of technology. They built basically a vertical merry-go-round as tall as the Statue of Liberty. Whoa. <laughs> and you put a rocket in there and spin it really, really fast. Dude. And then in a, in a vacuum, and then you let go of the rocket, and it shoots vertically and goes into space. So it's sort of like a spin top that was just unleashed. Yeah, it's called spin launch. Exactly the same way as when you're on the merry-go-round as a kid, 
and the, the big kid in the neighborhood spins it a little too fast and you can't hold it on anymore and you fly off the merry-go-round exactly like that just up and down instead of sideways okay crazy so you don't need rocket fuel don't need rocket okay wow that's kind of a big deal is it is it loud is it quieter does it take less parts can they can they reuse the rocket uh, yes less parts definitely reusable if y'all hear that in the background i do think my neighbor is trying to launch their motorcycle into orbit right now oh is that what that was <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> neighbors hey the dog of doom across the street has gone away the people moved <laughs> oh congratulations it's so nice so that dog that would just sit there and bark all day long is gone. Anyway. It's a Thanksgiving miracle. Well, it actually happened a while ago. I just didn't say anything because oh. I had to, no one talked about neighbors until just now. But this new idea, the spin launch, it doesn't require any rocket fuel. You can just power it up using electricity. You can't launch people because we can't handle those G-forces. And you'd have to build things kind of stout. But just the idea that you could just shoot things into space... Is brilliant. Yeah. I, I saw another thing, oh, I don't know, years a year ago maybe. I don't know if we talked about it or not. But it was the idea of using a mag, mag launch. So like a giant rail gun. <laughs> that does not sound stable. It doesn't sound like it would have enough force. No, 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 no. You, you can accelerate things really quickly. Wow. And what they figured out is you, you don't shoot it straight up. You shoot it at an angle. Because it doesn't take long to get out of the atmosphere anyway. It doesn't really matter how much atmosphere you're going through. And if you shoot it at an angle, it's already getting close to orbital trajectory. And so they just built it. They built it in Australia. It's just a track. And it's, I don't know, a couple hundred feet long. And they put something on there that it can accelerate or can withstand the acceleration. And it goes zip. And there's a sonic boom and they fire it. Now, I don't think they built one yet, but the idea is there. Wow. Okay. So we have multiple ways of launching things into space as long as it's not alive. <laughs> as long as it's not alive. That's kind of important, isn't it? Yes. So we would have to continue to rely on rockets, with uh, traditional rockets and fuel for manned missions. Yes. Things that, you know, I mean, even, you know, four or five Gs, I don't know how many Gs a spaceship is, I just forget. Uh, it's a lot, but that's as much as we can handle. So the idea of like using Tesla batteries to power a space vessel that doesn't need like jet propulsion is out of the question it's not out of the question it is not out of the question oh no it can definitely be done my head is spinning with the the ideas this this is interesting i'm no rocket scientist but i think this is cool yeah if you want to launch cans of beans into space you can do it computers if you if you build them robust enough so they don't crack under acceleration you can launch all sorts of stuff raw materials parts pow 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 just send them into space rapidly there was a sci-fi where they were actually keeping something important in cold storage in pods that orbited a planet you know like planet earth and then they came down when they wanted them yeah and i could see keeping things frozen you know in stasis out there in orbit hmm. clever idea i could see people launching their own ashes into orbit uh yeah yeah it, it would just wouldn't the ashes basically just fall all back down to earth well it depends on how fast you launch it and what it's in could the ashes actually suspend in space and stay there no 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 i was thinking in a capsule like you know in a titanium sphere and you launch it into the sun or you know out towards saturn or something like that 
I want to be buried on Saturn. I'd be, I'd be afraid of creating a situation where it like sm- the capsule smacks into the space station and you know freaks everybody out. Yeah, that that, that would not be good. Oh, the uh, occupants of the International Space Station had to go scurrying. They all had to get into their escape pods and stay there for a while. Okay, so it was sort of like gravity. Yeah, exactly. It's a gravity scenario. But part two, and it really, it's really happening. Yeah, yeah. And it was because, I think it was the Russians, I think, they decided to blow something up in space as a test. Ooh. And now we have space debris in the wrong place. Mm. Anyway, just annoying. So, also in the notes, I included uh, some tweets between Elon Musk and a guy named Massimo, which I assume is famous. I don't know who he is, but I probably do. I just don't recognize his tag. Yeah, his Twitter handle is Rainmaker1973. And I'm sure this is a famous person, but we know that E equals MC squared. Yeah. So energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. So energy and mass can be converted from one to the other. Well, if you have, if you have the sun and the sun is streaming light onto earth, what's the mass equivalent of the amount of energy that the sun is giving to earth? And consider that some of that energy is being absorbed by plants Plants are putting on weight not just because they're grabbing carbon out of the air, but because they're grabbing energy out of the air. Not much, because the conversion ratio is pretty bad, Hmm. but they are gaining a little bit of mass. So Massimo uh, tweets, If you took the amount of sunlight that hits the Earth in one second and converted it into matter, how much would it weigh? What a cool question! Yeah. If E equals MC squared, well, the mass captured of sunlight per second is two kilograms. The Earth is receiving two kilograms of sunlight per second. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's just like, what? <laughs> Energy has mass? Well, no, it doesn't, but you can convert it into mass if you could. Now, of course, much of that we're not capturing, but he's got all these calculations, mass divided by time, da 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 the Earth's radius and pi and how many joules, and then converts the joules into kilograms. If you converted it to mass, what kind of material would it be? Just carbon? So some raw... Or, mm, no, you don't. You don't get to convert it to mass. Okay. Uh, with quarks, um, gluons, uh, mesons, and bosons. It's not. We're not talking about atoms. Okay. Anyway, Musk replies, and that's a very tiny fraction of the about four megatons of mass that the sun converts to energy every second. So we receive two kilograms out of the four megatons that the sun is producing. Converting matter to energy. We are a speck in space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you could lasso the sun and build a, a sphere around the sun, you could, you could not capture, well, you would have a sun. The amount of energy that, that you would be inside that thing would be so massive, it'd be literally one sun equivalent of energy. That's amazing. <laughs> Just to be a nerd. But then Musk replies again. Interesting, however... The average power density of the sun is comparable to a compost heap. Humans are more power dense than the sun. It is just very, very big. Whoa. So I think what this means that per kilogram, we release more energy than the sun does. That's amazing. We're not nearly as hot as the sun. And if you took, I can't say, if you took... You're, if you took, I don't know, let's say 100 kilograms, that's 220 pounds. Say you took 100 kilograms of sun, mm-hmm. it would be awfully hot, 
But I guess most of the sun is not being converted into energy. Only the stuff at the center is. I'm like, I'm not even sure how to explain that. Yeah. But you know what? This is one of those things where you trust a smart guy in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and Elon Musk is definitely smarter than you and me put together. Okay. Just the way it is. Sure. Anyway, we, we did say a while ago that we might want to do a podcast on Elon. And I still think that might be a good idea. I like that idea. It's a good show. All right, are we ready for the main subject? I, I am. We got 15 minutes, almost 15 minutes of content here so far, and we haven't given the people what they wanted. Oh, well, let's give it to them. All right. And for everybody who just skipped the first chapter to get to the Ig Nobel Prizes section, then uh, you're welcome. Oh, no. I put those chapter markers in there just for you. <laughs> so, Rob, yeah. you want to explain what the Ig Nobel is to us again? Is this the Darwin Awards? It's not the Darwin Awards. The Darwin Awards are awarded to people who die from their own stupidity. They, they naturally select themselves away. <laughs> I think we talked about both of them the last time, a year ago. In episode 33, we talked about both the Nobel and Darwin Awards. And it would be easy to mix them up if you didn't know better. It would. It definitely would. This is associated with the Journal of Improbable Research. And what they do is every year they collect the... Most ridiculous scientific papers that were posted in all seriousness that they can find and make an award and they have an award ceremony and they invite the scientists to come and most of them do. <laughs> <laughs> they must really enjoy the making memories together. I guess so. But the strange thing is that some of these papers, they sound ridiculous when you first hear about them, but then you, when you realize their implications are actually profound. Cool. And some of them are just like, you did what to a cat? <laughs> <laughs> and seriously this 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 episode that we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna ask that question a couple of times okay so how how would you like to go through this you want to do it like last year you did one i did one you did one i did one i i did this once and they learned that i'm horrible at it because of all the foreign names well we can skip the names i can't read any of these names well, like the first one these guys are from sweden uh-oh yes <laughs> <laughs> okay so i can give it a shot how about just the first names I'll try. So we got Suzanne, Robert, and Joost for analyzing variations in purring, chirping, chattering, trilling, tweedling, murmuring, meowing, moaning, squeaking, hissing, yowling, howling, growling, and other modes of cat human. Cat human communication? Wait a minute. Then it makes it that implies that the humans are reciprocating in like manner. I know that we meow, but not like on a regular basis. The abstract says nothing about humans making any sounds. Okay. Doesn't that summary kind of sound like we're doing some of this noise back to the cats? Yeah, like the humans and cats are talking back and trying to make sense of it and all, but they did conclude they had significant individual differences are found between the four cats in several respects. So it would be like different accents and different pitches. Uh, you know, this cat's a soprano, and that one over there is a bass, and that one's from Brooklyn, and this one's from... In other words, there's, there's no evidence of real language in cats. They make random sounds. Oh, they really think that they're just random? No, that's what I'm concluding from their paper. Oh, okay. But the, all, all of these uh, cat papers, when you look at them, you, you realize they're trying to say that cats have language. Well, I would have assumed so. They're analyzing cat sounds in the same way you analyze human language. And here, they failed. Hmm. The, first of all, four cats isn't a lot. They uh, didn't come up with anything that was consistent. 
Okay, so you're a scientist. If you thought that they could and would make some good consistency from some statistical analysis, how many cats do you think it would take? Well, I don't know. But would 100 be enough, or do you really need to reach 1,000 before you would be able to see some trends? You, you need as many as you need in order to be able to see some trends. And then you double that to see if the trend still holds. Okay, good idea. Yeah. And yet with four, they got nothing. But Suzanne, her paper was a phonetic pilot study of vocalizations in three cats. And she recorded 538 vocalizations from three domestic cats. That doesn't mean that they made 533 different sounds, but they, they had 533 different examples, samples. Meow, purr, uh-huh. you know, mew, whatever. They, she just had three cats. And so each one of them she recorded, oh, 100 and maybe nearly 200 per cat, different sounds. For comparison, I know that we here in the state of Georgia, we have uh, the brown thrasher is the state bird. Yeah. And it is a songbird that is, uh, so last I heard, uh, last I checked, supposedly it had over 300 different songs. Wow. And if that's the case, then that means that they've recorded that many and you could replicate yeah. that many across yeah. different thrashers. Yeah. But what we're saying about cats is that they're not so consistent with their noises no an overall high variability due to the large number of intonation patterns used in each type that that's called random noise one might speculate that cats are signal paralinguistics perhaps even linguistic information no they're just making gibberish noises I would guess, based on cat behavior that they just don't care yeah, yeah that might be they, they open their mouth and let what comes out comes out. But she writes, neither the recording techniques nor the analysis tools used here were judged to be optimal for cat vocalizations. <laughs> so why are you publishing a paper? <laughs> <laughs> so this is why she got this award. Sorry, but it just doesn't sound like a good study. This sounds like what a scientist does for fun and they didn't take it seriously. It just kind of half-heartedly because they're cat people and they wanted to record their cats. I bet you all these cats were hers. These were all Suzanne's cats. Yeah, I bet, she's, but she's not done. Oh, Another paper, a phonetic pilot study of chirp, chatter, tweet, and tweedle in three domestic cats. I wonder if these are the same three cats. And then she has a study collected 257 vocalizations. Wait a minute. are Is she duplicating here? Did she publish her data twice, or is this a completely different set of data? Hmm. She collected them from three domestic cats when they were watching birds through the window. That sounds like new material, then. That sounds like it's very special. A tentative taxonomy of prey-observing cat vocalizations is suggested based on words used for bird sounds. <laughs> she, she's trying to place language into the cat brain yeah it's like asking homer simpson he, he's just saying pizza <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't get that reference i've never seen the simpsons but oh okay well uh, homer simpson never has a thought in his brain basically uh, and the next one by the same author um has been removed you can click on the link but it doesn't come up oh so melody and human cat communication meowzik uh yeah meowzik <laughs> anyway it's gone anyway so this is very sad because cats are amazing animals yes they are little lions and they're fierce predators they eat millions of birds a year but i don't want to 
expose myself as a Luddite, but I'm sorry, I don't for a second believe that animals have language. So coming at this from a uh, sort of a whimsical, remembering what it was like to be a child and, you know, wishfully think that you could communicate with the animals if they could just talk to you and you could understand their language or if they could speak your language and have their own unique uh, voices, given the fact that they're ducks or rabbits and the like. Yes. You know, you watch all the cartoons. Cartoons, nine times out of ten, they're talking animals. Yes. So puppets too, you know, that's very normal across the spectrum. It feels very normal to expect that there could be a scenario where it hypothetically speaking could have happened or would happen. And, you know, I, I it's wishful thinking, but part of me thinks, well, we know that when God created everything in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with all of the animals. And because they were all new, Adam and Eve had language faculties about them that God gave them from the moment that they existed. Yes. So hypothetically speaking, wouldn't God also give the animals the ability to communicate to Adam and Eve and vice versa there in the garden? And maybe they lost this ability to communicate due to the fall? I would say no, because of theological reasons. Mm-hmm. Animals can communicate emotions to some degree, fear, anger. Or maybe you would say that they could also, they could signal each other. They could signal each other. Yeah, they, they can, uh, you know, monkeys understand numbers up to like three. And they understand jealousy. If you give something to one monkey, they'd be like, wait a minute, where's mine? They understand trickery. Like if you're a magician and you have some food in your hand, then you do the disappearing coin trick on that piece of food they'll get angry. But they can't say, oh, Joseph, I am hungry. Please call Papa John's and order me a pepperoni pizza. This is not possible. They do not have that ability. There's no animal anywhere in the world who could say something like that. So yeah, I would expect cats probably have a, I'm scared, I'm happy. Oh, look, there's food, like a mouse or a bird or something in a plate, but nothing else. Even whales with their amazing sounds they're just repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And different whale pods have different songs. And that's really amazingly cool. But it's not like they're, they've memorized Shakespeare and they're, they're humming or singing Shakespeare to each other throughout the ocean depths. Or like they're retelling their life story to the next generation. Or did yeah, you no. see what that cow did? You know, it's not like that. No, they're just going... And they do that, you know, 10,000 times in their life and then they die. Mm. So, okay. Yep. All right, moving on. You want to do the next one since I've read so many of those? Yes, please. Okay. We have the Ecology Prize from Spain, Iran. Spain and Iran, two different countries of origin. Okay. So we got Layla and Alba and, and Angela and Manuel for using genetic analysis to identify the different species of bacteria that reside in wads of discarded chewing gum stuck on pavements in various countries. <laughs> and uh, this is referencing the wasted chewing gum bacteriome paper by these people. Yes. And all of them came to the ceremony. Okay. Incredible. What, 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 what's the chewing gum revealed to us, Rob? Well, this is published in a verifiable, certifiable, real journal called Scientific Reports. <laughs> this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's real science, and they did real science, and they did it right. Good. 
is it worth anything? That's the question. So what they did is they went and they looked at chewing gum at various stages of decomposition in different places around the world. And they sampled it and they looked at what bacteria were present and what chemicals were present. Did they identify what brand and whether it was chewed by someone with teeth or without teeth, male or female, you know? Not necessarily. Got to take all these things into consideration, Rob. Yes. Uh, Did we cover um, a year or so ago in our ancient human ancient DNA chat uh, podcast. I think so. That came to my mind too when you just started to refer to something. Yeah, that this sounds familiar. They found a, a wad of birch tar in a yes. peat bog in Denmark and they were mm-hmm. able to sequence the genome of the human that had been chewing it. And they said it's a female. And they also found duck and hazelnut DNA. So not only is it a female, they know what she ate before she died, before she spit this thing out. <laughs> anyway, so similar thing here. They're, they're looking at the, be- the breakdown of chewing gum. And the first thing they notice is, oh, when you, it's first dropped, it has common bacteria that are in the mouth. And over time, that changes to other types of bacteria. Well, duh. Bacteria that live in the mouth can't live on a hot pavement in gum. And they said, oh, and then it breaks down such and such and such and such. So in one sense, it sure would be nice to have chewing gum that could like, you know, decompose instead of turning into that hard blob. I mean, how many times have you gone up to a, an intersection and you look down and there's these little spots all over the place of different colors and it's all this chewing gum people spit out at their car window. Yeah. Gross. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. But who really cares? I, I no. don't. And I think we should move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Then the chemistry prize. Here we go. This is going to be good. Uh, we got Germany, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Greece, Cyprus, and Austria all represented here. We got, how do you pronounce that first name? Is that O? There's an accent mark over the O. It's, it's the O with the umlaut. Uh, York. York. It's, yeah, J- York. Okay, York. Uh, I can't, I, I had a German office mate in graduate school, and she taught me how to pronounce the O with the umlaut on top. And I practiced and practiced. She finally said, yes, you finally said it. And I said, it sounded exactly like all the other times I said it. (laughs) She just started hearing things. So we got Jorg and then Nicholas, Bettina, Christoph, okay, here we go again. Efstratios. Yes. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, Or ma'am. And then we got Akim, Jochen, Thomas, thank you, Stefan. And Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan, thank you, sir, for chemically analyzing the air inside movie theaters to test whether the odors produced by an audience reliably indicate (laughs) the levels of violence, sex, antisocial behavior, drug use, and bad language in the movie the audience is watching. (laughs) And yes, 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 there's two papers that they cite, and some of the authors or maybe even all the authors are the same there's a lot of authors it's hard to check them all but one is called proof of concept study testing human volatile organic compounds as tools for age classification of films and the other one is cinema data mining the smell of fear (laughs) so by having an air sampler continually sampling the air in a theater and by classifying what's happening at the time you know language sex anger angst all that kind of stuff, they're looking at the gases that humans are releasing in their breath and through their skin, and they found out that pretty much there's no correlation to anything. As we suspected. Okay. 
But there was one particular chemical that, okay, yeah, this one does seem to have a little bit of correlation with something. Now, this is actually interesting. It sounds really dumb, but it's interesting in that if they found something, then like say a government could put a sensor in like a subway station and or places where large crowds gather and they could sense the mood of the crowd. Wow. Well, that's re- that is really cool. Yeah. So if, if, if humans start outgassing something when they're getting angry, a detector could be like, bing, 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 bing. Uh-oh, we're about to have a riot. That's a cool question. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not true. They did not detect anything like that. But if it was true, the world really would want to know. And, you know, it would be one more way a government can control us. Or we, have to, we, we would learn that we have to go around with a carbon-activated uh, or activated charcoal in our underwear so that the government can't <laughs> smell. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yes. The Economics Prize uh, from people in France, Switzerland, Australia, Austria, the Czech Republic, and the UK to Pavlo... Oh, you got it easy. <laughs> no, I, I was expecting more names. It's just one guy. Oh, Wait a on. minute. How can you have so many countries and it's only one guy? He's got a lot of passports. <laughs> Pavlo Blavatsky. <laughs> For discovering the obesity of a country's politicians may be a good indicator of that country's corruption. <laughs> In the economics prize category. <laughs> yeah, he's got the economics Nobel Prize. What he did was... Uh, egg Nobel. He looked at face shots only. 299 full frontal images of cabinet ministers from 15 post-Soviet states, including Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Estonia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Latvia, Lithuania, Moldova, Russia, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Ukraine, and Uzbekistan. And then, using a computer algorithm, they tried. he, he calculated the minister's body mass index. Basically, from how fat his face looked, they could estimate his mass and how much fat he had, And then they correlated that with the Transparency International Corruption Perceptions Index from the World Bank. And they conclude, he concludes, this result suggests that physical characteristics of politicians, such as their body mass index, can be used as a proxy for political corruption. That's actually impressive. Fatter politicians equal more likelihood to be corrupt. Okay. Okay. There's a link in the notes. Spurious correlations. You see the link? Yes. Click on that. And let's just read some of the correlations. Just scroll down a little bit and look at that that first graph. Okay, so yeah, there's a graph with a line going across from the year 1999 up to 2009. Mm -hmm, And it's rising wavy line. Yeah, two of them. There's a black one and a red one. Yeah, it's both. Mm -hmm. The red correlates with the black. Yes, they do look like they're about the same. What does it say? So the black one represents the hanging suicides. <laughs> okay. And then red. Suicides by hanging, strangulation, and suffocation correlates with Stra- <laughs> U.S. spending on science, space, yeah. and technology. Of course. The more science we have <laughs> in space, the more people hang themselves. <laughs> okay. Look at the next one down. That's great. If you're not looking at this, please pull over your car, you know, <laughs> get off the treadmill and look at this because you'll have a great laugh. So the next one, 
Okay, the next graph we got from 1999 through 2009 is Nicolas Cage films that appeared and uh, swimming pool drownings. <laughs> <laughs> so the number of people drowned by falling into a pool correlates with the number of films that Nicolas Cage releases every year. Wow. <laughs> Notice the left and the right, though. Mm-hmm. Look at the scale. The drownings goes from 80 to 140, not zero to 140. Yeah. But Nicolas Cage films goes from zero to six. <laughs> the next one down. Per capita cheese consumption correlates with the number of people who died by coming tangled in their bedsheets. Wow. That's a tight correlation, too. <laughs> it's almost one to one. I mean, I can tell you how many people are going to die next year by becoming tangled in their bedsheets based on how much cheese we eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it shows us in red how much cheese we eat, and it's showing like on the low end in the year 2000, it was about 29 pounds, and then it goes up to 33, 33 pounds, pounds in 2009. Mm-hmm. Correlates to 800 deaths. And a lot of people die in their bedsheets, and we're talking a couple hundred every year. Golly. 800 deaths. What? Tangled in their bedsheets. How many people are murdered by their bedsheets? You know, their partner strangles them and says, I don't know what happened to him. I think he just got tangled in his bedsheets. Yeah. Oh, dear. That sounds suspect. The divorce rate in Maine is, cap- is correlated with the per capita consumption of margarine. The age of Miss America correlates with murders by steam, hot vapors, and hot objects. <laughs> the total revenue generated by arcades correlates with computer science doctorates awarded in the U.S. That makes sense. Except, I would expect that arcade revenue would be going down. Who goes to an arcade anymore? Yeah. I spent a lot of quarters at arcades when I was a kid. I don't go to arcades anymore. I mean, I only know of one. There's one in, at Myrtle Beach that we went to. I gave the kids each a couple of dollars, said, hey, let's go play some games. You ever heard of barcades? It's probably because... The cost per game has increased. Oh, yes. I guess Dave and Buster's and does Chuck E. Cheese have arcades? Yeah, Chuck E. Cheese is an egg Nobel study waiting to happen. I would never go in that place, but anyway. Worldwide non-commercial space launches correlates with sociology doctorates. Sociology and space launches. What? I love this one. Per capita consumption of mozzarella cheese correlates with civil engineering doctorates awarded. <laughs> people who drowned after falling out of a fishing boat correlates with marriage rate in kentucky but that makes sense okay. because if billy bob <laughs> falls out of his fishing boats and drowns well mrs billy bob's gonna get remarried you see <laughs> yes etc 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 point taken correlation does not prove causation that is a very important rule in science all scientists struggle with this because we're humans. We automatically leap to conclusions. We're always biased. We cannot, the humans don't think straight. It's not possible. We're always being tripped up by our own thoughts. And you know that whole, you know, the scientific method that you learned, a scientist draws a hypothesis, then he tests the hypothesis, then he revises the hypothesis. You know that? Yeah. Remember you learned that in like eighth grade? Yeah. That's BS. That's not how scientists work. Scientists already think they know the answer before they run the experiment. I got a hunch. Yeah. And they go try to prove their hunch. So even though scientists understand how science works, supposedly they understand, they, they almost always go about it backwards. And that's because we're human. And it is 
extremely difficult to come up with an unbiased hypothesis. Interesting. You're always developing your ideas based on prior knowledge. Man, 72 other episodes, Robin. I don't think you've said that before. Wow. This is good. This is why people tune in. All right. So, spurious correlation, and I would go exactly to obesity of politicians and corruption in post-Soviet countries. He's claiming it corresponds to the Transparency International Corruption Perceptions Index. And I do not in any way, shape, or form think that it is wise to make that comparison. Seems fair. Yeah. You want to get the next one? Yeah. So we got the medicine prize. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, let's not do the next one. Okay. So I'll just, I'll just move right along. Let's just say this. These group of people, Germany and Turkey and the UK, decided they wanted to know if the things that married people do <clears throat> at night, usually, <clears throat> correlates to the ability to breathe well. Does a nasal decongestant clear your nose up as well as doing adult things? Can that clear up your breathing? Hmm. And they concluded, yes, it does. Can it? But then they admit that, oh, a significant people, a number of people in our study claimed that they had nasal obstructions. <laughs> and this is why they wanted to participate. It's like, well, this isn't a good sampling of the humankind here, guys. <laughs> and reading through their data, I can't see where they reported the number of results they have graphs with no error bars which might mean just a single observation at each point it's a garbage paper i could see why you wanted to move on yeah but because it's adult content but it's also a garbage paper understood i mean i would never have been able to publish something like that i wouldn't have laughed out of academia if i tried on any subject not just that subject then we'll move on to the peace prize the peace prize go ahead we got ethan and Stephen and David for testing the hypothesis that humans evolved beards to protect themselves from punches to the face. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's why we have eyelashes too, right? To to protect us from punches to the face. I guess so. Go ahead and read the title. Yeah. So impact protection potential of mammalian hair testing the, uh, forgive me. I don't know how to pronounce pugilism, 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 hypothesis for the evolution of human facial hair Ooh. now pugilism of course is the um old-fashioned word for boxing mm. to be a pugilist means you're a boxer oh. or a fighter anyway yeah so they're testing does beard hair does facial hair on a man protect his jaw from being whacked by an adversary so maybe if the bigger the beard you'd get lost your fist would get lost looking for the jaw when you swing for uh, no 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 oh. including contact does a beard protect the jawbone from breakage or damage mm. and they said yes it does it, it should confuse the puncher about where the jaw is no 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 given equal given an equal hit you know square in the right spot yeah they said that this would work now they're not testing us on people's heads. They took a silicone dummy and put sheepskin on the dummy, shaved or not shaved, and whacked it, and then looked for damage estimates. And what they concluded was that with hair, there's a little bit of impact slowing down. So the same amount of energy is imparted it's like if you could whack someone with a baseball bat, you break their leg. But if you put the baseball bat on their leg and pushed on their leg, 
and imparted the same amount of energy, their leg would not break because you imparted that energy over a long time frame. And so that minuscule little slowing down of the hand means that the, that the energy is added to the jawbone at a slower rate, even if the same amount of energy is added. Yeah, okay. Yeah, kind of, I guess. But the, the thing is, I don't know that it matters. And I don't know if their results are significant because it's not that much of a change. And they claimed evolution. Yeah, see, that's the thing is they couldn't observe the evolution. Exactly. <laughs> they don't know that that's, I mean, they're claiming this is why human males evolved a beard. Do monkeys never get whacked? But see, isn't that what a lot of the th- evolution theory is like when you hear it described? It's kind of. This is, well, yes, but this is a particularly bad example. I mean, monkeys get whacked, apes hit each other, whales, I mean, think about uh, um, giraffes and their horns. They whack each other hard. Why don't they have big hairy heads? <laughs> yeah, so... The, yeah, even the baboons, you know, they, they just don't. That's right. I, I guess this might be another example of correlation does not prove causation. That's what it came to my mind too, yeah. In a, sim- a different way, just because the beers are there doesn't mean that's why the beers are there. And even if the beard does do something, that doesn't mean that's the reason why it's there. For example... Uh, beards by this reckoning would also be useful to females. Yes, except for one interesting thing. Hmm? Girls prefer girly looking guys. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, baby looking guys. They go gaga over. Wait a minute. Is this another study? No, it's just, it's just the way it is. <laughs> okay, so this is not from the Ig Nobel Prize Award. Okay, Rob, is this your hypothesis? No, the the big, smelly, muscular, hairy guy, uh-huh. they're like, ew. <laughs> they always say that. So I don't know if they always said that. <laughs> not always, right. yeah, fine, but, but <laughs> I, I've never heard a girl say, oh, man, look at that big, hairy, muscular, smelly guy over there. I've never heard any woman ever say that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm biased. <laughs> I think you have the subject material for your own study, Rob. You need to do some scientific verification about this. I, okay, Joe, this is going to be f- I had a woman look me up and down at Target. I was buying these, um, these granola bars that I eat for breakfast. They're the, some kind bars, and I've been eating them you know, once, one package of these granola bars basically for the last year. And she's behind me in line, and she goes, hey, are those good? I said, oh, yeah, I like them a lot. And she goes, oh, yeah. I said, I pretty much eat them. I eat one for breakfast, and I've done it for about a year. And she looks me up and down. She looks at my stomach, and she kind of, hmm, and nods, and she pulls her cart, and she goes and go gets them out of the aisle. <laughs> it's like, yes, I am skinny because I eat these things. And what she didn't know is I weigh more now than I've ever weighed in my life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sucker. So she was going, I told her where they were. I said, oh, they're on the end cap. And I didn't take them all. I, I, there's two there still. <laughs> but I actually got checked out. I was like, yeah, yeah, check me out, girl. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry, I'm blushing here. Uh, what's the next one on the list? We got physics. Oh, yeah, physics. The Netherlands, Italy, Taiwan, and the USA. These are international efforts here. Alessandro, Jasper, Chung Min. Lee, mm-hmm. I guess that's his whole name, Roberto and Federico for conducting experiments to learn why pedestrians do not 
constantly collide with other pedestrians. Physics-based modeling and data representation of pairwise interactions. So have you ever noticed that where you can just perfectly dodge people, even with a very small window of time of coming around the corner, and they are too, and seamlessly wiggle out of your, your waist out of the direction that they're going, and they go their way, you go your way, and nobody collides. Yeah, there's a lot of brain processing going on. Mm -hmm. And if you want to study how to move large amounts of people, you need to know how to behave on the local level. Can you model a crowd walking down a highway or, you know, highways, they don't walk down highways, but can you, you know, walking down a city street, how many people will pass there and how wide does it have to be and how many fire hydrants can you remove to improve the flow? Well, do you have to treat them as little dots or can you just like treat them as a flow of, of a fluid? Like in, um, in the Lord of the Rings movies, the Battle of Helm's Deep, they did something that no one had ever done before in the animations of the armies, both the elf army and the orc army and the human army. They actually had a computer and it took days or weeks maybe, I don't remember what the number was, to run the simulation. They had all these little humanoid things on the computer and they animated each one of them individually. Yeah. They gave it a little personality and they said, go from here to here and don't bump into anybody and don't slice your sword through anyone's head until you meet up with an enemy. And that, that was literally an individual modeling of hundreds and hundreds of little animated characters. Cool. It is. And this is kind of that way. They're, they're tracking people and figuring out how people make decisions. There's another study I read, I don't know, a year or two ago, is about murmuration. You've seen the pictures of bird flocks as they're twisting and flying and, and the flock is doing all these weird patterns. It's called a murmuration. I know you've seen it. Okay. I know, I know you've seen videos of this. Sure. And, and, or pictures, at least. You've seen giant flocks of birds, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what they, what they did is they calculated that each bird in the flock is tracking six other birds, which humans can't do. We can do two or three things, which is why you get in a car accident when it's really busy, because you can only track two or three things. You had a fourth thing in there, and you, your brain can't do it. But birds will track six other birds, therefore they don't collide. They don't have to track all the birds, just the six ones that are around them. So here they're trying to get it to humans. I said, where are we here? The physics, but the physics, pyramid, pedestrians. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the kinetics prize, which is very similar to the physics prize, to Hitachi, Claudio, Yuta, Katsuro from Japan, Switzerland, Italy, for conducting experiments to learn why pedestrians do sometimes collide with other pedestrians. <laughs> this is in Science Advances. This is, you know, a science journal. Mutual anticipation can tr contribute to self-organizations in human crowds. <laughs> I'm laughing because I read this earlier and I was laughing at their description. You know, understanding the crowd is, dynamics of crowds is crucial to help manage mass events and daily pedestrian transportation. They show a link between individual anticipation and emergent pattern formation through experiments of lane formation, where unidirectional lanes are spontaneously formed in bi-directional pedestrian flows. There was a bunch of people walking one way and a bunch of people walking the other way. Once a person walks through a hole, another person will get behind them and a, a, a channel or a lane will form. But they then distracted people visually. <laughs> and they said... The distracted pedestrians and the non-distracted pedestrians 
had difficulties avoiding collisions while navigating. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> so they distracted people, and all of a sudden, chaos happened, and they started bumping into each other. <laughs> that sounds like a really fun study. Our findings may influence various fields, including traffic management, decision-making research, and swarm dynamics. And it's true. This is a, that's really interesting, but kind of silly also. Wow. Anyway. Entomology. We got here John Jr., Roger, uh, Charles, and Jay. I, I love saying just first names. Everybody just go by first names. <laughs> For their research study, a new method of cockroach control on submarines. <laughs> You, you know, that's one place where I forget that, the yeah, the cockroaches can get to the submarines too. Yes, and it will be a problem once you have cockroaches erupting on a submarine. This is published in the Journal of Economic Entomology. But all they did was fill submarines with toxic gases, standard ways of exterminating things, and said, hey, look, we tried this new insecticide that no one's ever used in a submarine, and it worked. <laughs> their paper <laughs> oh, come on guys <laughs> come, what are you stupid any toxic gas in a submarine would kill the including if you removed all the oxygen <laughs> that would still kill them I mean there's all sorts of ways to kill them and this, this way worked and then they used two different chemicals because the first one would kill the living ones and the second one would kill the eggs ah yeah well, guys, we flooded the submarine with water, and guess what? It killed them. That would work, too. You are brilliant. <laughs> Man, you should go try uh get yourself something from the Office of Naval Research. Get yourself a grant. Say, hey, I think we can kill them this way. That's right. And it's free. That's science. <laughs> <laughs> and non-toxic. <sighs> All right, I'll take the last one. Okay, dope. The Transportation Prize from scientists in Namibia, South Africa, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, Brazil, the UK, and the USA. Well, being that all of these countries, except the last two, last three actually, are in southernmost Africa, one wonders what they might be looking at. But Robin, Mark, Peter, Estelle, Pierre, Piet, Birgit, Backer, Jan, Michelle, Julia, or Julia, Stephen and Robin got an award for determining by experiment whether it's safer to transport an airborne rhinoceros upside down. <laughs> <laughs> what? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> the pulmonary and metabolic effects of suspension by the feet compared with lateral recumbency in immobilized black rhinoceroses, Dicerus bicornis, captured by aerial darting. So just the other day, I saw an example. I think it was on uh, maybe YouTube. There was a clip of a rhinoceros that slipped on the slope inside of its habitat in the zoo, and it fell over and rolled down the slope on its back <laughs> like it can't get up. You know, it can't. It can't wield it. What, what's it going to do? It's he's down, and for the counting, he can't get back up. Did he get up eventually? Uh, not in the video clip. I don't think he ever got back up. Now, it sounds ridiculous to say, hey, can we transport a rhinoceros by helicopter by the feet? But it's not. Because when you're talking about rhinoceroses, you're talking about sometimes endangered subpopulations, endangered species. You're talking about wanting to transport them from one national park to another or different parts to get away from poachers or maybe to bring a male close to a female so they can breed. And you want to know what the best way to move them is without causing undue stress. 
So they looked at the metabolism and the heart and the lungs of rhinoceroses that they lassoed by the feet and they picked up in the air. <laughs> so it's a legitimate question. <laughs> Why is my phone talking to me? It just told me to turn right out of my driveway. There's no Starbucks. Maybe Starbucks. I'm not going to Starbucks. My phone is possessed. Why? Why did all of a sudden? I've never navigated to a Starbucks. Hmm. Oh, in Al- in the middle of Alabama, I was trying to tell me where <laughs> the Starbucks is. Whoa. Turn off the phone. <laughs> that was bizarre. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, uh, there's your transportation prize. And there is the 2021 Ig Nobel Prize winners. Congratulations to all those brilliant scientists for their work. Incredible. Some of which was a little scurrilous, some of which was quite ridiculous, some of which was unsupportable by any rational means, and some of it was actually important and interesting, just um, kind of funny when you think about it. It's such interesting, entertaining scientific study. So what sound, if you applied the cat vocalization techniques to upside-down rhinoceroses that are being flown by helicopter, <laughs> what is the phoneme and F-zero response of the vocalization patterns? <laughs> Oh, is that a black rhino or a white rhino? Oh, my word. I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 Okay, I'm done. For all of you that need some air, we're sorry. Just breathe. We'll help you with some breathing exercises next time. Thank you for joining us on this quest. It would be awesome if you would share Equinox with someone that you know that will enjoy this good laugh too. We write links and show notes together for each episode. So if you want to get to the script, the description and the links, you could find them with this episode. Anything that uh, we mentioned concerning these awards for the Ig Nobel Awards, the links are there. And you can also get more of our content if you happen to join Equinox Plus. I promise eventually we will have more bonus episodes. And uh, do check out Biblical Genetics, Rob's other project. It is a labor of love. It's over there on YouTube. It's also available on Facebook if you want to join in the comments discussions. It's also available if you just want to get right to it. It's at biblicalgenetics.com. And you can find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter. I check it every day. I can really talk to you if you want to talk. I, I don't know what you want to talk about. It depends on what you want to talk about, I guess. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. And thank you for listening to this fabulous episode of the Ig Nobel Prize Awards of Equinox.